When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. What's up, podcast fam? Happy Monday. Super pumped for this episode today. Before we jump into it, take a moment, share this episode with a friend. Make sure you subscribe, Bits of Gold Podcast. Leave us a review. Follow us on Instagram, Bits of Gold underscore podcast. Today, my guest is Alexander Pekoff, ultra runner, ultra athlete. This guy is an absolute, complete savage. He's done numerous ultra runs, ultra endurance events, and He doesn't do it for fame, for prizes, for trophies. What drives him is his inner desire to be his absolute best, to perform at the highest and most elite level. And there's absolutely something to be said for that. You know, how many of us really wake up every day with one goal in mind, to be our very best, to perform at our very best in all we do? Listening to Alex's story made me want to jump out of bed, run, work out, and level up my life my commitment, my dedication to being my absolute best. You know, it's one thing to wake up and say, hey, I want to go and do this. But it is an entirely different beast to really dedicate you, entirely you, your time, your energy to being your absolute best in something that you are trying to do. In this episode, I highlight some of the past endurance races that he took part in, specifically his latest race, which was a 600-mile trek that took 14 days from Niagara Falls to the tip of Long Island, all to raise money for dog rescues. I mean, that is just insane, 600 miles in 14 days. I also dive into what got him into endurance racing, how he trains, how he prepares, what it is like to actually run and finish one of these races, and we talk about creating and developing your mental strength to be stronger, and how moments of adversity can help improve your own resiliency, your own ability to become more resilient. Lots of bits of gold in this episode. An interesting, interesting guy with a crazy, crazy story. So with that, I hope you enjoy this episode. Alex, thanks so much for coming on the Bits of Gold podcast today. I'm so pumped to have you on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. So I'm on Facebook like last week or maybe 10 days ago, something like that. And I see someone posted an absolute crazy, absolute madness. I see some guys running 600 miles from Niagara Falls to Montauk Point. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have to reach out to this person. You are a complete savage and inspiration. And I also saw you were doing it for charity, for a nonprofit, but I was just like, who is crazy enough to run 600 miles and what you did it in 14 days? Yep. 14 days and nine hours. Amazing. So before we get into this ultra run that you did and you just mm-hmm. finished what, like 10 days ago, a few days ago. Yeah, I finished uh, Sunday. I think it was the 16th. It was about a week and a half ago. How are your legs feeling today? Uh, today, my legs are feeling fine. I was actually debating running yesterday. I was like, yeah, I should probably wait today. <laughs> I'm definitely um, going to run today, though. 
Oh my god. All right. So before we get into this ridiculously long run, I usually like take these episodes back and start at the beginning, wherever your story starts. And I'm curious, like how you found your way into running. And I saw that you do other ultra endurance. I don't even know if it's really events, um, you know, but other ultra endurance runs, bikes, etc. So do you consider yourself an ultra endurance athlete? Like what do you what do you define yourself as? Yeah, I would define myself as a an ultra endurance athlete. I don't limit myself to running or cycling or it's just like, how am I going to get from point A to point B this time? Uh, right now, I I uh, completed a huge bike ride last summer. So I'm not really doing much cycling anymore. Now I'm trying to expand my running career. Got it. How do you stumble into ultra running? And obviously for those tuning in, I feel ultra running. And I actually had one other ultra runner who came on the show who's done a few hundred mile races but ultra running a few years ago was like not talked about whatsoever and today it's such a hot thing you hear of these big name athletes and they have i mean cam haynes who's been on uh you know joe rogan's podcast quite a bit the they've made ultra running such a like hot commodity i feel everyone's trying to do these ultra runs today so how do you stumble into ultra running yeah so um i first stumbled upon it when i went to college i went to durango colorado a school called fort lewis college and um, if you don't know that town, it's a very small mountain town, uh, kind of in the middle of nowhere. That's just a hub for endurance athletes. So you have top mountain bikers, top road cyclists, uh, a bunch of ultra endurance runners, uh, really a bunch of great athletes. And um, I was floored when I went there because, you know, growing up on you know Long Island, New York, the marathon was like the gold standard. It was like the longest I've ever heard of anybody running. And uh, growing up, my longest run was maybe 12 miles for a high school cross country. But usually I was used to running four or five miles a day. So I get to this place and they're running 100 miles at a time. And uh, I remember I asked one of these people, I was just like, what? That's crazy. And he just asked me why. You know, I said this on other podcasts, too. But it was like this, uh, this thing of like, it's not that crazy. It's only crazy because you were told it's crazy. And they had this attitude of like, you just have to be patient and you can work up to it. And, uh, you know, that that kind of planted the seed. Um, I started to see what the human body is capable of. Mm. So you're in college. This guy tells you, you know, running 100 miles, it's not actually crazy. How soon after did you go out and run 100 miles? Uh, not for a, a very long time. So that was in 2016. I didn't complete my first 100 mile straight stretch until 2019. So it took you about three years. Yeah, but it wasn't like I, I heard that guy and was like convinced right away. And, you know, at the time, I wasn't really into the ultra endurance scene yet. Uh, I didn't get into it until uh, 2017. I think the fall of 2017 was when I started to get into it. When this guy told you, oh, 100 miles, it's, it's not actually that crazy. At that time, like when you process what he said and you see these people running 100 miles, are you still thinking, Oh, you're nuts. 100 miles is crazy. Or are you like, mm, maybe it's not so crazy? No, I felt like I was, uh, I was inadequate. <laughs> I felt like <laughs> my, I felt my abilities are, are uh, not up to where they should be. Got it. So it made you want to go out there and train. It did. Yeah. And, you know, following that, that time period, I had kind of a rough patch in my training. Uh, and that was a big obstacle to overcome for me. And it was after that, that I started to really get into the ultra scene. You just mentioned like you hit a rough patch. What were some of the difficulties that you had to overcome? Yeah, so um, my second year of college, so at this time I was running NCAA cross country. 
I was at Division Two school, so I was training for 10Ks, 5Ks, stuff like that. I was still running pretty fast. And my second year of college, I started to get injured a lot. It was like a, I had functional scoliosis and uh, would get a hip pain and ankle pain. It was just like one thing after another. And um, what it turned out to be was a, a growth spurt. I hit like this massive growth spurt my second year of college that made uh, running really difficult. And um, throughout that time, I did a lot of studying because I couldn't run as much. So I was seeing like these physical therapists and like trying to learn as much as I could about human anatomy to figure out why the heck I was getting injured so much. And, you know, that that time period was probably one of the most beneficial things for my training, because now I have such a deep understanding of my body, how it works, how it's structured. And uh, I don't get injured anymore, really. I haven't gotten injured in a very long time. Mm. So, yeah. So once I got past that, I was able to start training again uh, once I finished growing. It took about a year. So you're in college. At what point do you like step up and run? What would you consider as an ultra as an ultra race? Uh, anything longer than a marathon. So anything longer than the 26.2 miles is considered ultra. So at what point um, like what point did you run and your first ultra race? Yeah, so it was the uh, the fall of 2017. I set my sights on running the Grand Canyon, rim to rim to rim. Uh, it's a 46-mile run. And, um, you know, at the time I started training for it, I, uh, you know, I had just transferred schools. I wasn't uh, running at all, really, because I was just getting out of this, this injury phase. And, um, you know, I was like, all right, like if everything I was told, if everything I studied is correct, I should be able to do this. And um, I had a really nervous feeling the whole time I was training for it. But I'm like, all right, I'm just going to start by dedicating myself and working up to it. So I'm doing like five mile runs and those are feeling good. And then I'm gradually building up. And then the day came for me to run my first marathon ever. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. So I went to uh, Moab, Utah and uh, just ran a marathon by myself on Porcupine Rim, which is the, uh, the trail I chose. And uh it was hard, but I got back and was like, okay, there's, I could do this. And uh, mm. so then I went back a week later and I did 38 miles over the course of, a, of 24 hours. So there were rests in there and uh, I ran a big canyon that day. It was like not as big as the Grand Canyon, but it was, it was a substantial drop and gain. And uh, yeah, then uh, November 2017, I ran the Grand Canyon and uh yeah, that was that was like my first big event. And that was that was an actual race. It wasn't just like you're going outside to run. No, it's it's not a race. So the Grand Canyon, you it's a it's a known ultra event, right? A lot of people do it. A lot of people try to break the record and uh, complete this rim to rim to rim run. But the trails are just not suitable to have like a high profile race. Got it. So you're yeah. just going out there and you're you're running for yourself basically yeah this was uh all for me how did it feel when you finished oh it was the most wild feeling ever i felt like i conquered the world uh <laughs> i didn't even know if it was possible and then like i did it so it was a magical feeling how how did so you know it sounds like you like uh you obviously study you spend a lot of time um training reading studying but um like how would uh, what was your regimen in getting to that to that point? To getting to running forty six miles. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, cons consistent running for sure. Um, back then I wasn't as dialed in as I am now, but um, I would typically do uh, shorter runs throughout the week and then load up on the weekends. That's what I was. Uh, that was my philosophy back then um, because I figured, well, I'm training to run a lot at once, right? So I want to uh, do extremely long runs when I can, but then the other days just need to be shorter to recover. Um, and that's how a lot of ultra runners train. They, they load up on certain days of the week. So I would do a lot of 50 mile weekends was a thing back then. And uh, yeah, I also do obviously keep up with the strength training, the core training, making sure my body's upright, stuff like that. How, how important, um, like outside of obviously just hitting the pavement and running, um, how important is like the other areas in terms of recovery, stretching and things of that nature? Oh, it's extremely important. Like they say, you don't get uh, stronger from working out. You get stronger by recovering from working out. Right. So uh, when you go out there and run the next day, you're in a temporarily reduced state of fitness. You're you're not as strong as you were the day before. Right. That's why. I can't go guns blazing, run a mile as fast as I can, hit a hit a 440, and then come back and do it again the next day. It's a lot harder the next day. Um, so when you recover, that's when you make a small leap forward. Uh, so if you never recover, you're just constantly bringing yourself down until you know you ultimately get injured. So recovering is extremely important. Do you stretch every day? Um, I try to. Uh, when I'm out on those journeys, I don't really stretch. Um, believe it or not, flexibility is not necessarily advantageous to ultra running. Uh, it's more of an injury prevention. I feel like there's a threshold where I need to be flexible enough to not get injured, but you don't want to cross a line and be a gymnast. It's just not advantageous. Mm, that makes sense. So, um, so you complete this, this ultra run, you feel like you just conquered the world. Mm -hmm. What, what comes next? So, uh, typically, and this goes for all of my events. I'll uh, finish, pat myself on the back, I'll feel good about it, and then shortly after, it's time to focus and think critically, so analyze where could this be improved, because, you know, obviously, I, you know, it was my first one, it wasn't the best ever, and even now, I look at that New York run that I just did, and I see all the inefficiencies and places to get better, but, um, so I, lo I looked at that run, and basically what happened was at mile 37, I hit the wall. So uh, if you're not familiar with the Grand Canyon and how this run works, you start on the south rim and you run down to the bottom, then you run up the north rim, and then you turn around and go back to the bottom and then back up. So it's a big V. It's a, a lot of elevation gain. But anyway, at mile 37, so this is my second time at the bottom. So at this point, I went down, up, down. I hit the wall. I felt like, how am I supposed to get back up the, the Grand Canyon? I, I can't even walk. And... Uh, I sat there for a while and it was so bad that I remember saying, okay, you can take 10 steps. There's no reason you can't take 10 steps. So I took 10 steps and sat, five steps, sat, five steps, sat. And then, you know, I got the ball rolling and slowly but surely made my way up. So when I finished and I'm thinking back critically, I'm like, okay, how could I prevent that, that bonk? Why did that happen? Was my nutrition not good enough? Am I just not strong enough? Do I need to train differently? And so I figured all of it out and then went back and did it again. And uh, I cut about four hours off my time. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Did you hit the wall the second time? No. And I remember at mile 37, this is kind of crazy, but you got to understand I'm alone in the Grand Canyon. And uh, at this point, it's pitch black. 
Um, so it's the middle of winter. I was running through the Grand Canyon, mile 37, my second time, and I didn't hit the wall. And I remember just putting my arms in the air and just like roaring. I was scree- I was so pumped that I was still running. Uh, it was one of the best feelings ever. Um, <laughs> so you didn't hit the wall at all. And how, how, long, how long did it take? The second time, it took me 15 hours and 45 minutes. What, what did you change from first time to second time? Uh, my preparation was a bit different. Um, at this point, you know, I was more fit, so I was able to withstand more miles and uh, did more elevation gain. Just like mm. I, I increased everything. And um, I also had my nutrition more locked in. Uh, so would, I, how I ate throughout, I went. Would you say um, also, so it's your second time and you know you already completed it once. How much of it would you say it was like mental also where you're like, oh, I, I already did this once. I'm going to do it better. Did you, were you going in with like, um, mentally you were more maybe prepared, stronger, et cetera. hundred percent. The first time I was scared. I, like, yeah. I didn't know if it was possible. I'm going into this, the biggest hole in the world by myself. Um, I didn't know, but the second time I'm like, okay, my body can do this. I know exactly what to expect. So yeah, there's a huge mental relief. When, when you hit the wall in the, the first time you did it, mm-hmm. um, what, what's the, what was the feeling like for, I assume like most of the, the pain is stemming from like your feet, your legs. Um, yeah, it, it's a, it was full body, full body fatigue for sure. Um, but definitely, yeah. in my legs, especially that run, because, uh, you know, you're going straight down, which puts a lot of load on your quads and your knees, and then you're going straight up and then you're coming back straight down. So it's a very intense run. Um, for your legs. It definitely hurts a lot. I think that was the most sore I ever was. Grand Canyon was <laughs> the most sore out of anything I've done ever. But you, but you did it. Yeah. So you you go back, you do this a second time. Um you're like beast mode, finish it in under 4 hours faster. What what comes next? Are you like what what did you decide you wanted to tackle next? So uh, next was going to be my first 100 mile run. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I started training for it. And, uh, like I said, I wasn't perfect back then. You know, it's, it's a process. You gradually learn as you go. Um, mm. but I, I ended up hurting myself in death Valley. Um, a bad decision to, to even go out there and do what I did, but, uh, I hurt myself in the process. So, and that's when I started to make the transition to cycling. Hmm. So you were you were planning to run a hundred miles, injure yourself, and you transitioned to cycling. Yeah, yeah. A physical therapist said to try cycling for a bit, and um, you know, I I had cycled before. I did a few triathlons in high school, um, but I wasn't like a a serious cyclist or anything. I wouldn't have considered myself a serious cyclist. But uh, yeah, I I started doing it uh, because of that injury. And I think so. What what was um. All right, so you're cycling. I read that um, you went on a crazy cycling um, ultra journey. What what was how'd that come about, and what was that event? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll start with how it came about. So uh, I get injured, and I I start biking, and um, I was mad that I couldn't run a hundred miles. So I'm like, okay, on spring break, which was like two weeks away, I'm going to ride my bicycle from Colorado, where I was living, to San Diego, California. Um, okay. 
it was estimated to be like 1200 miles. And uh, at this point, you know, I wasn't in cycling shape or anything, but I was, you know, uh, naive and confident in myself. So I embarked on this journey and everything went wrong. It was, <laughs> it was such a mess. Uh, after like, I think five or six days, I ended up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which if, if you don't know, it's like San Diego it was way, way West. And I'm just directly South of where I started. Like I <laughs> no westward progress. Um, so I ended you went, up, you went, you went the wrong direction. Yeah. So what happened was I tried to cut West too early. So I, I was going on these mountain roads and, um, I, it, what it came down to was I wasn't fit enough to get over the Rocky mountains the way I tried to go. Uh, it was just too intense. I had never experienced anything like it, especially on a bike. I wasn't prepped for like that wilderness, uh, the grades, the altitude, everything. It was just like a big mess. So I ended up having to go back East to then go back South. Um, it came down to I wasn't prepared. And then uh, mm. so I'm in Albuquerque, and that started a massive hitchhiking expedition to get to San Diego in time for my flight. Uh, so just like a huge mess of a trip. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I got back and was disappointed in myself and was like, okay, like, if I dedicate myself, dedicate everything to one thing, do the homework, uh, have my life organized to the T and I train properly, I won't get injured and I'll be able to do more ultimately. And uh, then I had this grand idea to ride a bike from Key West, Florida to Prudhoe Bay, Alaska. And um, I I thought about it for a while and then trained for it. It was about a year later I started. So I started on May 8th, uh, May 8th 2019. These, so you have these ideas. Do they just pop in your head like in the middle of the night or um, are you seeing other people doing this? I'm just curious. Like, uh, Obviously, a lot of people uh, people have ideas all the time, especially uh, you know, now we're talking about extreme uh, athletic events. You know, do, these, do these just like pop into your head in the middle of the night and you're like, oh, that sounds pretty cool? Or do you see people doing this and you're like, oh, maybe I should give that a shot? Um, it's, it's a mix of both. It's a mix of both. Uh, a lot of times I'll get the idea and think it's crazy. And then once I start preparing for it, I'm like, oh, there are other people who do this. Mm. And, uh, sometimes it's the other way around. Like with the Grand Canyon, I heard of other people doing it before I, I attempted it. And, um, you know, with, with biking to Alaska, that would seem like a foreign thing. But then as you prepare, you know, you learn that other people have done it too. Uh, yeah. How how do you prepare for that one? So that was the most intense preparation for anything I've ever done. Um, it basically started, I, I went to school, I was at CU Boulder, and uh, I invented something I called the Matrix. And uh, sorry if we get a little crazy, but it's honest. <laughs> okay. So, so this Matrix, basically, it was a, a huge whiteboard. I just called it the Matrix because I thought it was funny. But uh, it was a huge whiteboard that I put on my bedroom wall, and uh, it was divided into sections. So on the far left, we had the daily section. That was erased and rewritten each day. It was what I needed to accomplish for the day. And on the other sides of the board, there were various checkpoints throughout the semester dates and things I needed to achieve. So by this date, I needed to have a certain amount of 100-mile bike rides completed. Uh, by this date, I needed to do uh, this training, whatever it was. Uh, in addition to that, I had a packet that accounted for every single day of my training and what I needed to accomplish. Um, 
that gradually built up the fitness necessary to uh, to do that. And um, if you want to get specific about training, I'm happy to. Um, mm. Where do you want to take this? Yeah, we can. We can. Uh, I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah. So, by the way, did you have did you have a did you have a roommate at the time? I did. Yeah. Were they were they a runner? Yeah, my roommate's a, another crazy endurance athlete as well. Okay, so you had two crazy, crazy athletes, crazy yeah. people sitting in a room together. That, so they weren't I'm looking. You, that was nuts. <laughs> the thing, yeah, it was a weird place. So they weren't looking at the Matrix, being like, "What the hell is Alex doing?" They were probably like, uh, "Wow, this is this is good. Let's let's do it." <laughs> yeah, he, he was on board, and uh, I'm glad you brought him up. My roommate. So he uh, he's familiar with ultra endurance athletics. And, um, you know, when I first told him I was doing this, he was someone in my life who didn't look at me like I was crazy, but looked at me like you're not doing enough. Like, you, realize, <laughs> you realize how hard that's going to be like you need to do more. He, he kind of had this attitude of like, it's possible, but you're not doing enough right now. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, he was a really cool uh, roommate to have for sure. Yeah, so someone to push you and uh, help make sure that you were properly prepared. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Yeah, it definitely helps. I mean, I feel like uh, sometimes it goes both ways. It's it's good to also have maybe some haters in your corner to to maybe motivate you and mm-hmm. uh, you know do some do some event or something in spite of that person to sh- to to show them. But um, definitely, I think uh, you know it's obviously helpful when you have people who actually believe in what you're uh, embarking on. Right. And, uh, you know, this is something kind of similar, uh, comparison culture, where, um, you know, I get, it's hard to, how do I explain this? So when I do these events, I get validated a lot, right? Because it's like, wow, you ran this amount of miles. That's so, it's so impressive. That's so far. That's really cool. But what it comes down to is you have to pick what's important to you in life and compare yourself to the people who do it better than you. And to live with somebody like my roommate, who, uh, you know, I would say I just ran 30 miles and he wouldn't be impressed, is a very, is really beneficial. Um, Mm. And it it puts you in that mindset of like, there are always people out there who will take what I did, do it easily. And if they're an ass, they'll laugh at me. So so it's like, uh, so yeah, living with somebody like Jordan, my roommate, was extremely beneficial and it kind of you know, put, put in perspective of who I need to be comparing myself to who's doing what I'm doing better. Yeah. I love, I love that you bring that up. I think also not just that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they say that the, you know, you're like the, um, the average of the few people you, you spend the most time with, etc. So it is extremely important who you have in your, uh, you know, closest, closest circle. Um, but also I guess I'm curious um, and I thought we'd get into this a little bit later, but now that we're here, um, I'm curious as it relates to like you yourself, um, how much during, um, these races competitions, um, are you just focused on like you, Alex, am I impressed? Am I proud of my accomplishment? Because ultimately, um, especially for some of the ultra events that you're doing, um, they're not let's call it in race form. And it's very much you versus you. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like uh, how much time energy, if none at all, do you spend comparing yourself to, um, you know, 
others who might have gone on that same ultra event, who might have achieved or attempted that same ultra event versus just like you set out this goal of uh, doing this ridiculously long bike ride and uh, you're focused on like you set the bar. This is where you want to be. And I'm going to be proud of if I reach this, regardless of what anyone else has done. That's a good question. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of uh, a lot. It's definitely a lot of self uh, self. uh, How do I put this? Um, Bars that I make myself for sure. So uh, I kind of base where I want to be on what I believe the human body is capable of achieving. Mm. If that makes sense. So uh, when I let's say this run this past run, I averaged 39.3 miles a day. Um, I'll be honest, that disappoints me um, because <laughs> I because and it disappoints me because I know the human body is capable of so much more and I want my body to be capable of more. That's mm. the bar I set for myself. What is that bar based on? I know other athletes who averaged 55 miles a day. I know other athletes who uh, right now the the record for the run across New York, I mean, across the United States is 72 miles per day. Um, <laughs> and what what I think is what's the difference between me and him? Um, you know, there's obviously a certain amount of ability, certain amount of training. But when I look at it, these athletes who've done that are 30, 29. They're, they're older than me. And now what I think is what do I need to do over the next 10 years to get to that level? Uh, so, so yeah, what is, what is that bar based on? You're always going to be comparing yourself to others. That's just, uh, you know, how humans are. We're social, but, um, you know, you can use it as inspiration to set the bars yourself for what you think you're capable of. Is, yeah. Is much, is much of what's driving like you behind these ultra events is much of that driving force, your curiosity to see what the human spirit, what the human body is capable of. Um, is that like, is that like what, is that what ignites your, your soul and makes you want to go out and do these things? Or is it something else? That's a lot of it for sure. Um, it's a, it's a lot of what the human body is capable of. And it's a lot of trying to see, you know, what I'm specifically capable of. And a lot of it is I know what I'm capable of. I know it can be done. Can I do it? Can I get myself there? Uh, mm. How do I get myself there? I don't doubt that one day I can average 60 miles a day on a journey and uh, be putting down some serious, you know, uh, international events, probably like world's longest stuff like that. How do I get there? Mm. Is what I'm curious about. So let's let's just take it back. So you, uh, let's go back to the to the bike to the bike. Uh, I'm calling it a journey. It's not even a a race. It's literally like a sure. how, how long? Yeah. So let's go back to the bike ride. Yeah. So it's a it was an 86 day bike ride. Uh, <laughs> that's crazy. But uh, yeah, it started on May 8th, 2019, finished August 1st, 2019. You're biking every day for 86 days straight. Yeah, I took a, I think a total. In that time, maybe six or seven days off. I would have to check. Um, but yeah, there were some complete days off in there. What What was that like? The whole thing? Yeah. Um, yeah did was, you stop and enjoy the, the the states that you were passing through, or you were like a man on a mission? I was a man on a mission, for sure. Uh, didn't do much touristy stuff, didn't do much sightseeing. I mean, I saw the whole continent, but it, it wasn't like a, 
I didn't, <laughs> I didn't stop to see stuff. Uh, I had a few fun stops, um, but you know, they're not necessarily planned, but yeah, I had, I had some really fun stops thrown in there, but a lot of it was just extremely focused. Like we're working. Mm. Um, I'm just curious. So that's 86 days of your year. Uh, you tell everyone you're, you're going to go on this journey. Um, what's like your friends, your family, what are they all saying? Um, you cut out for a second. So what was the question? Oh. I'm telling what's, what? what's your, what's like, you tell everyone you're going on this journey. How long did you think it was going to take? Okay. I, uh, I allotted a hundred days as the max, assuming like things were going to go wrong. Okay. Um, so I was actually pretty happy with 86 days, but, uh, but yeah, so I told people I'm doing this. Um, you know, at first people thought I was crazy and, uh, obviously, uh, people tried to talk me out of it. My dad was furious. Uh, <laughs> but you know, then, uh, the, the pe the thing people don't expect is when you say you're going to do something and you follow through. Uh, so, you know, I got laughed at a few times and, you know, people didn't take me seriously. But then when the dude shows up in Key West with a bicycle and posts a picture of himself at the most southern point in the U.S. and says he's going to bike to the Arctic Ocean, then all of a sudden people are tuned in. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, my parents started to uh, they they obviously came around and were like on board with it to a certain extent, even though they were really worried. Um, but but yeah, that's that that was kind of the attitude before I started. Where where do you sleep when you're? on the road for 86 days i camped out most nights i had did you, a tent did you pack like a tent you packed a tent mm -hmm. yeah i packed a tent and uh you know in the in the southern u.s there isn't much wilderness so it was a lot of parking lots um but then you know once i got further north in the in canada it was pretty uh pretty open i could just camp wherever there were plenty of pullouts oh man yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's wild. Okay, so you do this. How do your legs feel throughout that? Like did your did your body that's that's like eighty six days of nonstop uh tremendous strain on your body. Like how how'd your body hold up? Um so m for the most part my body held up well because I was extremely conditioned. I the training for that, I mean it when I say it was perfect. It was like the best executed training plan I've ever done. Um, so, uh, there were some points on that bike ride where like I felt more tired than others. Um, at certain points I was kind of malnourished, like in the Yukon territory where I didn't have access to much food. Um, and I had some kind of spills up there, hmm. but, um, you know, for the most part, my body held up well. Okay. So you, you finished this bike ride. Um, you come home after? How'd you get home? My roommate picked me up. You drove home? Yeah. Okay, so you... you um, <laughs> It's crazy. So um, you go home, and what comes what comes next? After this bike ride? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, like uh, I would say about a month and a half of like me mental struggle, personal struggle. Um, with, you know coping with the fact that the thing that drove me for an entire year was missing. Like that it was over. Yeah, that it was over. Not necessarily the, the bike ride itself was over. I didn't care about that. I cared about, um, you know, how I felt when I was training, right? Because when I was training, I had 
the matrix. I had my, my life was organized to the T. I woke up every day with a specific purpose and I was living life at max efficiency, max intensity all the time. And now that driving force is gone. Um, so I'm back at CU Boulder, uh, which felt like a weird environment after doing this long trek by myself. And uh, I was trying to figure out like where to go from here. That was the hardest what's next. It wasn't an easy what's next. Did you feel like you didn't have much like sense of self-purpose at that point or? Yeah, it was like, where's my self-purpose? Where's um, it, it? It was hard to be defined as by something that I already had completed. Mm. Like that was the most amazing thing ever. And I'm known as the person who did that. Mm. That makes sense. How how do you navigate uh, like figuring out what was next and uh, I guess getting out of that funk? Yeah, so um, I I kind of set my sights more long term. Uh, so I realized with that Alaska trip, it was such a massive thing. I viewed that as the ultimate life achievement. Um, I didn't do any thinking for what came after. And uh, so much so that I showed up at CU Boulder. I had nowhere to live. Um, I wasn't registered for classes. It was my last semester. I'm like, well, I need to graduate college. I need to sleep. I lived in a closet for four months. Because of it. <laughs> so it was like, I was like, okay, what I need is a plan. I need a set of goals that are going to take me like 30 to 50 years to achieve. Uh, goals that are so outrageous that I may never even achieve them, but I will wake up fighting every single day. And uh, along the way, there will be checkpoints that you know, will be monumental in themselves, but they'll never be the ultimate thing. They're always mm. a stepping stone. And uh, I was able to, I, you know, you, you just, you always get yourself out of it, but I got, you know, I got myself out of it and started training for the, the next endurance event. Which was? Uh, it was a 360 mile run. So now we're back on foot from uh, Las Vegas to San Diego. Got it. So you're back. So you're back to, um, to running. What, how yeah. do you, uh, it sounds like you're a pretty like uh, uh, methodical guy when it comes to goal setting, strategizing, etc. What was uh, what was your process of uh, creating these goals? It sounds like you created maybe a system or uh, a strategy to help you also make goals, not just uh, maybe that are let's call it six months, twelve months, but maybe more five years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years. What what what's that? Um, system or like how, how do you go about goal setting? Yeah. So, um, that bike ride, it's in and of itself kind of inspired this, you know, thinking long term. Um, because now my perception of time, my perception of distance is completely different. Uh, that bike ride changes the way you view, uh, time and distance. Um, so when I think 10 years, it doesn't feel intimidating. Uh, so back before this bike ride, I was always thinking in terms of weeks and months. Now I think in terms of decades. So, uh, so yeah, that's how that kind of started. But I have like a, a system of like, I want to get my body to a certain level where, um, hi, it, I'm sorry, I want to get my body to a certain level, like we talked about earlier. And uh, I kind of base my goals off of what do I need to achieve to get to that point. And uh, that's how I kind of base base the physical goals. And then I also have my like work goals, my, 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 my mental goals, stuff like that. And, um, 
you know, they're outrageous enough that they, they will take a long time. And that doesn't feel scary because, like I said, I want not to get to the finish line, but to wake up with a purpose every day. Mm. Do you write do you write down your goals? Yeah. So you talk about purpose just now. I'm curious if, if you don't mind sharing, like what do you feel your your purpose is? You know, that is a hard question. What is my, <laughs> what is my purpose? I you know, I don't know. I uh I have kind of a, just an idea of where my life where I want my life to be. Um I mm. think I'm, I'm still too young to define what my purpose is, but I have an idea of like the person I want to be in 15 years. Got it. And you're, and you're like working through a process where you write down your goals. How often do you go back and like, look at your, how, how often do you stare your goals in the face? Like eye to eye. Oh, all the time. <laughs> uh, so it's like, sorry, hundred percent. Yes. I'm like constantly executing. I feel like I'm constantly fighting for something. <laughs> um, all right. So you go, you go back and you, you you're gonna go and what did you say it was 360 yeah 360 yeah. miles um th- did that one happen injury free uh for the most part i had a what i thought was an injury at the very end because i i pushed the last 116 straight and um it turns out it wasn't an injury it was just like uh, an insanely bad cramp but at the time i had never run a distance like that so i didn't know what to think of it um is is this is this under like a was this a race or this is also just you versus you? Me versus me. Um. Okay. You go out. You run three hundred sixty miles. Yeah. <sighs> I'm exhausted even thinking about it. What? <laughs> what? Um. F- for that, how how long does that take? It took me ten days. And same thing. Are you sleeping during that, or you're camping out, or yeah, you're just sort of out. at this point. I didn't have a sleeping bag for this one. And is anyone is anyone like trailing you or following you at least in a car or something like that or no? No, I, I had all my things in a baby stroller. So what's what's the what's the deal with the baby stroller? Because I saw that on your uh, <laughs> Facebook page as well for the for the last run you did. Yeah, it's just um, it's the most efficient method for carrying things. Uh, so basically, <laughs> when you're running a far distance, you know, obviously every step is impact. And yeah. uh, if you have a backpack on, you think of like the amount of impact you're adding on to each step. And then um, in addition, you can't fit as much in a backpack as you can in a baby stroller. So with that, I said, I'd rather push my things than wear my things. And mm. uh, that's where the baby stroller was inspired. That makes sense. Cause I guess if you run with a weighted vest or something like that, um, or just like you, you run with a backpack on, it does, you do feel um, the weight on, on like your shoulders, your neck, et cetera. Right. And, you know, it's fine for a certain distance. Um, but when, when you're, you know, going over like 200 miles, you have to start thinking, like, all right, that's, that's ridiculous. Like if I have a backpack on and I run 200 miles, my knees and my hips and my ankles are going to feel like I ran 240 maybe. Yeah. For 600 miles, maybe you don't want to wear a, a backpack with, let's call it 10 pounds on it. Right. I mean, it would, I had a lot of weight in that shoulder. <laughs> um, definitely more than 10 pounds for sure so, it was, it was so after you run 360 miles um is that when the 600 mile run comes about or it's later uh it was later um i knew i would need to top it eventually um my thinking was 
I, I kind of had trouble then. I was like, I want to kind of jump a step and start running ser- serious distance. But, um, you know, what it came down to was I knew I wasn't ready yet. So I set my sights on a 600 miler. And that's when I did the, uh, the New York State run. I think I decided to start training for it in March. And uh, I just executed. It was uh, July. Uh, no, August. I did August 2nd. I started. 600 miles in, in how many days? 14. And what did, you, what did you say? The average was 39? Yeah, the average was 39.3. And you were disappointed? Um, not disappointed. I was happy. I finished in my goal time frame. Uh, I'm, I'm disappointed in the daily average for sure. Uh, I know it can be better. Mm. I know that's, it sounds crazy, but, but I know it can be better and it will be better. I, I can understand or resonate with what you're saying. It's like you did, uh, you achieved what you wanted to do. You just knew you could have done, or you feel you could have done, um, better. And maybe that's like, uh, that's itching. That's that's giving you like an itch that you want to get out there and do it. Do something like it again. Right, and it, it's this attitude I usually live by of like I I try to live in a constant state of dissatisfaction with myself because that's what drives me forward. Um, my my mental where I view I should be will always be a little bit higher than where I actually can be, and it's this constant struggle of not being good enough that pushes me forward. So I never want to do something and then be completely satisfied with it because I find personally I struggle with getting on to the next step if I'm satisfied. But when I have in my head, I should be able to run 60, 50 to 60 miles a day and I only did 39. Now I have a fire. Now I'm going to come out swinging and get ready for the next one. Where, where does that mental, um, like I'm, I'm curious, where does that mental state for you come from? Um, like, do you think this was something that was developed over time? Do you think it's just something you were born with? You know, a lot of people, I think, especially in today's time, a lot of people stop at, uh, the second they reach any state of uncomfortableness, um, you know, people, people tend to stop, uh, on this show specifically, you know, we talk, I, I talk to tons of people who, um, have taken maybe like a leap of faith, whether that was in their career, in their life to, leave some safety or security to go and pursue something that like really ignited, ignited them and made them come alive. And, um, I try to share stories with people who, um, let's say push the boundaries or get out of their comfort zone, um, in hopes to go out and build a life that, um, you know, is more exciting, uh, et cetera. But, you know, a lot of people do stop the second there is some form of, uh, uncomfortableness or the second you you leave that safety net so for you like where where does that come from uh it's a long history of just how i grew up as an athlete um when i was younger in middle school and i was running i i would come in last a lot and uh then when i was wrestling you know i had a couple years where i lost every single match and it was such a hard thing for me to navigate as a young kid i felt like i was a loser and uh, I hated it. I hated that feeling. And it got to the point where I realized, like, look, I'm not a natural athlete. I just need to I need to put in the work. And um, once I started to see improvements, that was kind of like um, an addiction. I loved it. I loved getting better. I loved when I started winning wrestling matches, when I started running well. And um, 
So I think uh, this this mindset comes from starting as a loser and gradually working my way up to, uh, you know, achieving better things and um, just kind of like never, never being learning over time to not be satisfied. Do you think, do you think people who are satisfied, um, I want to phrase this correctly, but do you think they're leaving, um, they're leaving opportunity on the table? If that makes sense. Do you think like people who feel satisfaction, um, like aren't hitting their true potential? Um, well, yeah, by nature, by nature, yes, but also everybody's different. Um, it, everybody's mind works a little bit differently and what they're, what they want to achieve, what they're able to achieve. And, uh, you know, obviously if you're, if you're satisfied with where you are, yeah, you could probably, probably do more. You're probably not reaching mm-hmm. your full potential, but the, the real thing is, are you happy? You know, if like you're satisfied and you're like completely content and happy where you are, then like, in a sense, you won life. You're, you're happy. You're, if you, if you're like me and you're kind of like, you know, all, like, you're never satisfied then like yeah you'll you might you'll achieve more but i'm always i'm always after that next thing i always Mm. live after the next thing so i don't know i have trouble answering that it's a good it's a good question uh i hope i answered it well (laughs) yeah no well it it is it is something that i'm intrigued by because um i look back in in my own life and the moments where i was most content um are the moments where i had the where I didn't grow at all. If I look back, I, I look back at those moments and I look and I feel, um, there, it wasn't like I grew less. It was like, I didn't grow at all during these times because, um, I feel at least again, from my own perspective, whenever I've been content, I stopped striving for more. I'm just like, Oh, it's good enough. And, um, now I look back and I'm like, wow, that was wasted time, time where I wasn't striving, growing, um, and trying to see what I could continually push myself to do more of. Yeah, that was a good way to put it. Uh, definitely, when you're comfortable, you're not chasing. And uh, yeah, when you're chasing, you're getting stuff done. Do you think? Do you think this is something that like you could teach yourself, or um, do you think it's more something that like you need to experience and? I mean, people take loss uh, all differently. I personally don't think anyone really enjoys losing, but there are some people who are just like, ah, whatever. But, um, you know, like for me, I, I I can resonate in some ways with you. Like I hate losing. And if, if I were to attempt something and I know there's more that I could have done better, um, even, you know, I'd be proud that I achieved the goal, but um, it would eat at me knowing that, you know, I could have done more. I could have done better. Right. Um I kind of lost my train of thought. Well, yeah. So I'm curious if like, do you think people can teach themselves? Uh, oh, that was it. That was, that's what I was around doing. like this mental toughness, grit. And also, I guess, um, how to uh, like you, you sort of have, I mean, I'm very intrigued by just your me- mentality around mm-hmm. all of this, because it seems almost that like you have um, almost a very abnormal way of thinking relative to like your, your mental state is obviously for, I want to say superior to the average person, because a lot of people will probably laugh at, like, they'll probably be like, you're even me, you know? Uh, and I, I, I feel I'm a pretty extreme 
human being, but I look at 600 miles and I'm like, oh, you are a savage. <laughs> um, yeah. So to, to answer the, the question, it's like, I, I think this mindset is very, you can develop it. Um, and I can share how I developed it if you want. Um, yeah, I'd, but I'd love it, that. you know, it started. Yeah. So it started, um, obviously when I was a kid, like I said, and then, uh, in high school, uh, you know, I was always, uh, trying to work the hardest, trying to get the most out of myself. And now where this mindset, you know, specifically for endurance and life developed was in college. And um, it started with things that I called figure it out runs. And how these things worked was I'd go to a certain place. Let's say that was like Death Valley or Utah or um, just somewhere where I can run really far. And I knew what my body was capable of. So I would run that in one direction. So so just so you have an idea, let's say I know I can run 20 miles. I'm going to run 20 miles in one direction and figure it out on the way back. That's why I called it figure it out runs. Because <laughs> you will get back. You figure out mm -hmm. how to get back. And it is horrible. I mean it when I say those runs were the most, one, some of the most brutal things I've done to myself. But you figure it out. You figure out how to have that mindset. You figure out that your body is capable of more than you thought it was. And that's mm. what I got out of each one. And um, you, you develop such a, a hard mindset doing those things. And then it, this mindset was furthered by specifically biking to Alaska, uh, I would encounter a lot of problems. And uh, the the slogan I had for my, I had a lot of slogans, but one of them was never feel sorry for yourself. And what that meant for me was, let's say my bike breaks down and I'm in the middle of nowhere. It's very easy to just feel sorry for yourself, but sitting around and feeling sorry for yourself doesn't get you anywhere. So my thinking was, what needs to get done? What are my options? Let's do it. And the options were always push the bike on foot or sit and feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> so it, was, it wasn't like there wasn't much thinking. And so when I laid out my options like that, my mind was always conditioned to move forward, move forward, move forward. You gave yourself no choice. Right. Exactly. So, um, but in, you know, in those circumstances, and I think this applies to a lot of life where it's like, you know, the options really are simpler than than they look, where it's like you have one option where you're not making any progress and then you have another option where you move forward. It's just it's hard to accept that option. It's not comfortable to accept the option of moving forward. Mm. Um, yeah. So you're, the way that you've sort of trained uh, yourself, your mentality, uh, your, your, really your mental strength. It sounds like basically what you did was you threw yourself in the lion's den and gave yourself no choice, but to get out on the other side. Exactly. And, um, you learn a lot about yourself when you do that. Mm. What would you say is the biggest lesson that like you learned? Um, if you had to pick like the single biggest lesson that you've learned, um, you know, on these, ultra endurance events the single biggest lesson wow that's a tough one um 
uh, I would say, you know, you always come away with your body is capable more than you thought it was. <laughs> and I love that you said that. And you always learn that you, you always learn how to, um, how do I put it? Um, I'd say the, one of the biggest takeaways is I'm here, I'm over here. I want to be over there. How do I get there? And then you organize yourself and complete the necessary things to get there. And, um, it, what, what I've done seems outrageous, but when you break it down, you realize it's possible. It all comes down to thinking it through and preparing accordingly. Yeah, I love I love what you said around that. Like the the human body, the human spirit is, uh, you know, there's there's much more uh, that you can achieve than maybe you you would think is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to it, but like I do I do really feel strongly that a lot of people leave a lot of opportunity in life on the table because uh, whether it be fear. Um, lack of enthusiasm, but a lot of people don't recognize or don't know that uh, what they have like deep within them in terms of their reserve tanks that like you can really push yourself, your body, your mind, your spirit so much further, um, you know, than what you probably think is possible. Mm-hmm. I um, so for 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 me, the, the most I've ever run was was a marathon, and um. I, I didn't really train for the marathon, um, not because of um, really because life life through a difficult circumstance at me. My so just a little bit about my backstory. My dad died when I was 20. My mom died when I was 25. And I signed up for uh, the New York Marathon for an organization I'm involved with um, experience camps, which is a free one week camp for kids who have lost a loved one. And, um, I signed up to run the marathon and had full intent to, to train for it. My mom ended up getting diagnosed with cancer and, um, I didn't, I didn't ultimately, uh, train for it. Really what I would do is every, every day she was in the hospital for, for two months before she passed. And, um, every day I'd go to the hospital and, um, uh, I would just not every day, but often I'd run home from the hospital with a backpack and, uh, I was running from like. Uh, Upper East Side in New York City to uh, the Wall Street area. So it wasn't like a, it wasn't, a, it, I didn't properly train by any means. And um, it's funny because when I, when I ran the marathon, so many people reached out to me and uh, they were like, you know, you don't have to go out and run this marathon. You just went through a traumatic life experience. You can put it on pause and run next year, train for it, get properly prepared. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, this is this is life. Like life will throw you twist turns. It will throw a curveball your way. It will deal you a shitty hand. But you need to move forward and face adversity head on. And uh, you know, I felt like if I didn't go out and run that day, it would be uh, it would be a complete failure in my life in regards to just giving in to the adversity that life throws my way. Um, and I said like, fuck it, I'm gonna go out there and run and. I'm going to run the entire time. I'm not going to walk for a second. Um, I'm going to run this thing. And uh, I had no idea like what I would, ex- I've never, I've never run that much before in my life. And I'm not, I'm not a runner. I'm sort of a, I have a bulky build. Um, and I ran the entire time. I mean, my legs were in complete chaos and pain from like mile 22 till the end. But um, I committed to running and just was like, no matter what, I'm going to dip into 
those reserve tanks. And in that experience, I really feel like it, it made me aware that, you know, no matter what adversity life throws my way, it is our responsibility to push forward, move forward. And it's amazing. Really? Like it really is amazing. Um, what you can tell your body to do. Um, you know, if you tell, if you tell yourself the right story, I don't recommend that. Cause I feel like, like my body was all fucked up after for, for days, but, um, I signed up again for the marathon this year and it got canceled. So I'm going to go out and run, um, the day, the day it is, but, um, I'm going to run it next year as well. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just so intrigued. Like, I think one of the things that I just find so inspiring about you and what you're doing. Um, and I know it sounds like so much of what inspires you to go out and do these events is much for like you versus you, Alex versus Alex. But I do think there's such a valuable lesson there because ultimately it doesn't matter what, you know, uh, your neighbor's doing, your friend's doing it's, this is your life and you're responsible for dictating and driving that car and putting yourself, getting yourself to where you want to get to. And, um, you know, I love that, uh, you're just, your story is so inspiring because for anyone listening, um, it, it really is you versus you, you know, you need to look yourself in the mirror every day and say, where do I want to get to? Who do I want to be? And like, like you laid out so clearly, you know, you created this matrix, a plan to help you get there, but it really is your responsibility. And your story is just, it's proof that, you know, anything like truly anything, um, is possible if you, if you want it bad enough and you go out and put in the work to get there. Right. hundred percent. Um, <laughs> well, awesome. So we, we can start to wrap this up. I do have, um, a few fan questions and then one final question I'd like to ask all my guests. Um, yep. what would you say is the most common myth about, um, being an ultra endurance athlete that you would want to debunk that I want to debunk. Um, I, I always, uh, the most common myth, I don't, I don't know if it would, it would be a myth, but people always ask me how I do it vegan. Um, and mm. I think being a vegan is probably the best way to do it. Um, so if I had to debunk a myth, I would say it's that vegans can't do it. <laughs> when do, it. do you eat fish or no fish? Uh, no fish. So, um, my, I'm 100% plant-based when, uh, this is like, we could go another hour about diet. Um, when, when did you, when did you stop eating meat and fish? Uh, I've been a vegan for about two years. Did, um, (laughs) I could go on and on about this. Did you do any, I'm just curious, did you do any like, um, blood work or is it more just driven by based on how, how like you felt since making the change? Um, it, it's driven by, by what I, what I felt by what I think is like right in the world. And, um, overall though, I, I felt a lot more efficient as a vegan. Um, I, I went vegan, uh, about seven months before I biked to Alaska. And, um, I, I definitely think it helped a lot for sure. What do you think of the, there's all the, the plant-based, uh, proteins now, like the impossible foods, the impossible burger. Oh yeah. They're, they're getting so ridiculously good at making those. See, for me personally, I, um, I don't need to taste the meat. I don't Mm -hmm. need the, like the exact meat substitutes. Meat isn't something I, I feel like I need to taste. Um, so I'm not that into it, but I think it's really cool 
for maybe somebody who's trying to get into it. Um, yeah. It, it's just, it's more to me, I view that as like, wow, that's cool. I'm not really into it myself, but it, it's a cool thing they're doing. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's so much money being thrown at uh, creating these plant-based uh, it's gonna protein. It's going to get bigger. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, we could, uh, last question. Uh, you know, my podcast is all about facing adversity and building your dream life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we covered quite a bit, a lot of lessons on this in the last hour. But with that being said, what would be your bits of gold on how to build a life you love? On how to build a life you love? You yeah. have to be really honest with yourself. Um, so for me, it's for me personally, I haven't built the life I want to live yet. I'm very early in the process. But uh, what I can say, if I'm if I'm going to compare building a life to biking to Alaska, something I've already done, something that feels really intimidating, that you're not really sure exactly how to re- approach, you have to be really honest with yourself and think, well, where I where am I right now, and where do I need to get to? And um, don't inflate yourself at all. Be brutally honest with how good you are, even if you're terrible. Because I, you know, you might have a really long way to go. Uh, mm. And then think, okay, what do I need to do to get there? And be extremely organized in your approach. Have it all laid out. Have it um, where you're going to see it every day. Have checkpoints along the way. And um, work your work your butt off. Work as hard as you possibly could. And uh, it, you'll realize it's possible. And I hope that this same attitude can apply for me to build the, the life I ultimately want to live. But uh, what I do know is that it worked for some of my most extreme endurance endeavors. So mm. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're well on your way to building a life you love. Where, where can our listeners find you, connect with you? And um, I know we didn't talk about it much, but I'm, I'll be sure to obviously include um, the links in the show notes for, um, you know, the organization that you were fundraising for, et cetera. But where can our listeners find you and connect with you? Uh, yeah. So, um, my name is Alexander Peckoff. That's P E K O F F. I'm on, uh, Instagram and YouTube and Facebook. So if you just search my name up on any of those, you'll, you'll find me and probably my videos too. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show today, Alex. And, uh, can't wait to share this one with the world. Yeah. Thank you so much, Danny. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Bits of Gold. I hope you liked that one with Alexander Peckoff. Highly recommend you follow him. He is going to be running and doing and partaking in different ultra races. And I think he is someone to keep an eye on. Lots of bits of gold in this one. And just really makes me want to level up my level of commitment and dedication in in all the things I do. If you liked that episode, please share this episode with a friend. Subscribe to us, Bits of Gold.
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.